Hey, I'm Matt Avery, um, pastor here at Midtown West. If I haven't met you yet, I'm glad you're here. Would love to meet you. So if you've got time and space for that in your schedule, if you want to pop up front afterwards, I'd love to just say hey. Um, really exciting. Hopefully most of y'all have heard about this via text, but um, save the date right now. We're having our first ever Midtown West women's retreat, October 8th through the 10th. And it's going to be Chattanooga. We got an awesome uh, speaker coming and I don't know what y'all's retreat, church retreat experience has been. I feel like a lot of times when I talk about retreats, I have to like deconstruct uh, retreat experiences for people, but um, this is awesome. And this is gonna be a time of rest and a time of just getting to know each other uh, for, these, for these ladies and just building community and really getting to spend some time with each other and the Lord and having fun. And um, so please save the date for that. There's gonna be a registration page that's gonna be up hopefully Wednesday. So that should come out in our weekly email, but that's not quite ready yet. But just go ahead and save the date in case an opportunity comes up between now and then for the, the weekend of October 8th, don't take it. Um, okay, the other announcement is Aiken. Uh, we're gonna be in Aiken Elementary School starting August 22nd, 10 a.m. So uh, if you haven't heard that yet, you need to know that because we won't be here at 4.30. Um, but also, if you have signed up to volunteer to serve, uh, whether that's greeting or set up, tear down, or kid town, we're gonna have, um, these are really important too, we're gonna have run-throughs next Sunday, uh, the 8th, and also the Sunday after that, the 15th. What time is that? 10 a.m.? 10 a.m. at Aiken, and we're gonna be um, just kind of walking through the motions so that everything doesn't explode on the 22nd, and we kind of know what's going on. So uh, please try to make one of those if you can. And then um, giving, we, we certainly are thankful for, for your giving. If, you are, if this is your church home, then um, the Lord calls you to give here. Um, he, he's gonna take care of us, he's gonna do his thing, um, but he invites us to give for our good um, because he, he just knows that there's something that happens um, when we give, it's connected to our hearts. And so if you're just visiting, great, we're, we're glad to have you. Um, don't feel the pressure to give anything, but if, you, if this is your church home, feel the pressure. Um, yeah, kinda, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Um, and, and lastly, Explore Midtown is our um, class that we have people walk through for if they're, it's really for anybody who wants to learn about Midtown period, but it's also for people especially who are thinking about placing membership at Midtown. And um, I just, like, for us, my dream is that everybody who calls Midtown West home would eventually become a member. And um, membership, church membership is not something that we talk about a lot. And so I wanna change that. I wanna start talking about that more. And so we're gonna have this um, in August, in January, most likely for the foreseeable future. Those are gonna be our two Explore Midtown opportunities. Um, but just here's a little snippet of why that's important. Um, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So the Lord has clearly put in place this, this situation where, um, I mean, Jesus is our shepherd, right? He is our good shepherd, but he um, calls people to be under shepherds and to, um, to care for each other's souls. And so here at Midtown West, that is, um, Nick and I are the elders here at Midtown West, and there's a charge on our life to care for your souls. But if, if you're somebody who's not a member of Midtown West, um, your soul is less important. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. But if you're somebody who is uh, not a member at Midtown West, um, 
then I don't really know, we don't really know where we stand on that. Does that make sense? Like, what all does that mean? Like, I don't know that you've really raised your hand and said, hey, I, I really want you caring for my soul. Um, I don't know if you're here just checking things out or what. And um, so church membership is, is really important because of what we believe is true about sin and what we believe is true about us that um, there will come a day for all of us when we are wanting to run the other direction, run away from the Lord, run away from God's people. Either something happens or we've done something that we're ashamed of and, and we're just out. And um, like a marriage, that's the difference between marriage and dating is church membership and not church membership, is um, marriage is intentionally a lot harder to disentangle and walk away from than dating is. If you're tired of dating somebody, you just stop saying yes when they ask you on a date. Um, if you're tired of being married to somebody, that's a lot bigger issue and it takes a lot longer to untangle. And that's the whole idea with church membership is um, we're gonna have these times where we wanna run away and go our own way and those keeping watch over our souls, but also brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a call that we all have in, in a different capacity to care for one another, to look out for one another, to serve one another, to love one another. And, um, and that's when we can raise our hand and say, whoa, 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 like, hey, remember you, you're here and, and we're helping you be here. So I think we have like three spots left. So I'm really excited that a lot of people have been signing up for that. Um, but go register on the website. Um, if you're able to make it, it's Wednesday evenings in August. And um, yeah, I, I think you'll be really, really thankful. So with that, I'm gonna ask Andrew Pika to come up and read our scripture passage. And I have a tea because I'm cool. <laughs> this is, yeah. Now, I've got a little throat thing, guys, but it, it's not the Delta variant of the throat thing. It's just the regular <laughs> variant of it. So, Andrew. <laughs> so many jokes I want to make. Okay. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. It is longer. All right. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, 
Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left, and they seek to take my life, to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shapheth, and Abel Mohola, <laughs> you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will give leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come into your presence tonight uh, because you call us here. Lord, it's good for us to be here. It's, it's good for us to worship you. It's good for us to submit ourselves to you, to put down all the other things in our lives and to come with our hands open ready to receive from you because we, we really need you. Um, you are worthy of worship and also worshiping you is something we were made to do that really transforms us and shapes us and matures us and brings life and health to us. And so, Father, would you do what only uh, you are able to do, which is through the power of your spirit, would you open our ears and eyes, Lord? Would you, would you melt our stony hearts? Would you uh, cause us to lean in and pay attention and be hungry for you and, and allow you to satisfy us? You say um, to us in your word, open your mouth wide so I can fill it. Lord, we have, we have spent this week running to many other fountains to drink from because we were thirsty, and, uh, and it's really all just sand. Um, so, Father, we come to you, the, the fountains of living water tonight. We ask for you to, uh, to fill us up and, um, and renew us, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, people watching the Olympics, right? Okay, woo. Um, Anybody watch the men's cycling road race? Yeah, that's what I thought. Thanks. Um, I, I love watching cycling, and uh, that actually was a really exciting road race. We, the Americans had a guy named Brandon McNulty who was not really supposed to do anything. Um, and the Americans, as you might expect, if you know anything about cycling, haven't been very successful in the Olympic road race uh, as of late in the last couple decades. But um, he was... First of all, like he was right there with all the leaders of the race. And there's this huge mountain, this huge climb toward the end of the race. And it's like, I don't know how long it was, but I mean, they were on their bikes for like six hours. And so after all this time, after all this effort, um, this is where like big moves are made to try to win the race. And so um, he's with like all the most elite cyclists in the world. There's a group of like 20 of them. And they're like on this super steep pitch and all of a sudden, he and this other guy just make a move, and they pop off the front 
of this elite group of riders. And the whole idea is that that's when you make a move, when you're on like the hardest place on the course, because that's supposed to just demoralize your opponents. And you're like, okay, we're all barely hanging on, but like here in the hardest place, I've actually got a lot more left in the tank and I'm gonna just fly off and leave you in the dust. And so they made this move and I'm like going crazy because I'm like, this dude, Brandon McNulty, I don't even know who this guy is, but like he's, the Americans are in this break off the lead group and, and he's like going ahead. And, and what it's supposed to happen is it's supposed to be like a rubber band that just eventually snaps. And it's like, you know, the people are trying to stay with them behind them and then eventually it's just too much and the rubber band breaks and they just pull away for the victory. And guess what? That didn't happen. What actually happened was the lead group stayed uh, about the same distance behind them the whole time. And then they got really tired and then the lead group caught up with them. And he ended up getting sixth place, which is pretty great. So um, USA. But, um, you know, there's this moment where, I mean, he's like putting all of his hopes into this move. And he's like, he's, he's so exhausted. Um, he's digging, digging deep, and it's like everything he can muster just to make this move, and this, is, this has got to be the play. Like, if this doesn't work, it's hopeless. And so when this doesn't work, it's just demoralizing. And so you watch him, and like when the other group catches up with him, uh, he doesn't even have enough left because he spent it all to like stay with them, and so he starts dropping back. And, um, and really, you know, that to me was a picture of what we're talking about tonight, um, and just thinking about in our lives, like it can feel like we're fighting these uphill battles and we're just, we're just given everything we've got, whether that's like just our effort or our, our mental energy or even our prayer life is like revolving around these events or these relationships or these people that we feel like um, everything is riding on this. And then you see a little fruit, you see a little breakthrough and then all of a sudden the door just like slams shut and it's just so demoralizing. Um, I know I've been having conversations with some of y'all this week about family members and about just people in your life that you wanna see the Lord change or circumstances in your life that you feel like you really need to see changed. And you feel like there's this like door opening and then it just slams shut and that can be so demoralizing. And, uh, and it's really this exhaustion coupled with this fear uh, that leads to despair and now we're like really turned around. And, and what, you know, walking through life is exhausting, right? I mean, uh, there's, there's enough going on that is, that is exhausting, but what adds and heaps on our exhaustion is what we do within these situations, which is to create these false finish lines. Um, it, it's in, in these false like ultimatums, like, okay, I know what needs to happen here and, and this, is, this is when it's gonna happen. And when we get to this place, then everything's gonna break loose, it's all gonna be good. And then we get to that place and it doesn't happen and it's just crushing. It's like somebody moving the mile marker on you if you're running a marathon. It's like seeing mile 25 and being like, yes. And then you get to the next mile marker and it says 12, like just kidding, somebody switched the signs. You actually have like half the race left. And like that, it's, it's more than, than running the miles, it's that is just crushing to your soul. Um, and so this is where we are in this passage. This is what Elijah is facing. Um, and this series that we're doing is this small little six-week series called God's Orienting Questions. And we're looking at these passages where the God of the universe asks questions of his people. And he asks these questions not because he needs answers, 
but because we need to hear the answers that we give. And that helps orient us to where we are and, and where he is and where we need to be and how he is, is shaping us and moving us in the direction to give us life. And so this question that he asks Elijah in our passage twice, um, what are you doing here, Elijah? And what's implied in this question is you've lost your way. You've lost your way and, and you need to see that. Um, and in my mercy, I'm showing you that. In your exhaustion and your fear and your despair, you've forgotten who I am and you've forgotten who you are. Before this passage uh, is maybe the greatest spiritual victory ever recorded in scripture. Um, Elijah is, is a prophet of God. And this is a time when in God's kingdom, uh, the king is Ahab, the king on the throne is Ahab, and it says in scripture that Ahab uh, made God angrier than all the kings before him put together because he was leading all of God's people away from him into worshiping false gods, and he was married to this woman Jezebel, and she was terrible, and she was way big into Baal worship, this false god, and so they together are leading uh, the people of Israel, and the people of Israel are kind of glad to go with them. And so all of these people, all of God's people are now worshiping these false gods. And so God calls Elijah and he says, um, I want you to go to Ahab and tell him that it's not gonna rain again on this land until you hear from me again. And then he has this moment. So for three and a half years, he's running and hiding from Ahab and there's a drought and it's exactly as God said would happen. And then Elijah comes back in this like huge moment where um, all these false prophets, it says 450 prophets of Baal are, are there and Elijah says, okay, hey, hey, everybody watch this. Y'all have been limping between two different gods for too long. It's time to decide who the real God is and you worship him. And so he says, I want all of the, the prophets of Baal, 450 of you to make an altar and prepare a sacrifice on this altar. And then I'm gonna make an altar over here by myself, prepare sacrifice there and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna call down fire from heaven from our gods. And whichever sacrifice is, is lit up in fire, um, that's the real God. And so it says for hours, these false prophets of Baal are crying out and no one's answering. And Elijah even starts making fun of them. And he's like, hey, maybe you should call louder. Maybe your God's using the bathroom. Or maybe he's asleep or maybe he can't hear you or maybe, maybe he doesn't have ears. And, and so they're all crying out and then they start piercing themselves and cutting themselves and bleeding and nothing is happening. And then Elijah says, hey, bring buckets of water and douse this altar and the sacrifice. And then he calls out to the Lord and he says, um, show these people that you are God. And then the, the whole altar is consumed in flames. And then everyone's like, oh, he is God. And then he's like, yeah, and let's slaughter these 450 false prophets. And so they kill all the false prophets. And then he goes up to the king and he says, oh yeah, by the way, remember three and a half years ago when I said it's not gonna rain until I tell you? Um, you better get your umbrella, it's about to rain. And then it's like mic drop and the skies just open. And it's like the greatest victory ever. And then right after that is this passage where it says, um, Jezebel sends a little message to him. And she says, hey, may the gods do to me um, if I don't do to you what happened to these false prophets. Basically, like, I'm gonna kill you. And it says that he runs for his life and is terrified. And so you ask, like, how did we get here? 
right? How do we get from this mountaintop experience, literally on Mount Carmel, um, to this place where he is running for his life? And so we're, we're gonna look at these first four verses um, and just see how forgetful we are in our frailty. Um, she makes these threats by these false gods that didn't even answer, that, that were just defeated and all the prophets died. And, and he knows that this God is on his side and he is still terrified and just runs away from her. And then he, he talks to God in his exhaustion, in his fear, in his despair. And he says, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my ancestors. What is he saying there when he says this? He's actually saying a whole lot. He's saying, I know, I know what needs to happen. I know, I know what needs to happen in this situation and also know that I don't think it's possible. So I, I, I know that it's right for me to despair right now. Um, I know what I can and can't handle. I know when it's time to lose hope. Um, and when he says, I, I'm no better than my ancestors, what's implied there is I, I really thought I was. Like I thought I was special. Nobody else has been able to do this, but I really thought I was the guy and that this was all gonna change with me. It says, I think there's a lot more on my shoulders than there really is. It says it all depends on me and God, you're counting on me. And all of this rests on me. And it also, it also says, I think I know why God loves me. Because of what I can do, because of these great victories that he and I can have together. And I'll just stop and ask, you know, have these, these kind of thoughts crossed your mind lately? Have you had these situations or these relationships where you felt like this, I know. I know what needs to happen and now it didn't and all hope is lost. Or or. I'm the one that has to do this. If, if, I, if I stop, then X. If I don't do this, if I don't keep on, then it's all gonna fall apart because all this rests on my shoulders. And you can see when you, it's so easy to get in this place. We've all been there. It's so easy to get there. And when you get there, everything starts to change and shift in the way that I see the world, the way that, it, the things that, that catch my eye that I pay attention to change, the way that I see myself changes, the way that I see God changes, the way that I understand my relationship with him changes. And so what we're looking at here in these first few verses is a man who is, is exhausted and, and he's tired, he's afraid, he feels alone, he, he is despairing and he is lost. And then starting in verse five, we see um, the Lord bringing rest to him and helping him, the, the process of remembering. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who I am. Let me help you remember. And so you see how God meets him in his exhaustion and his forgetting. Um, and it's, it's not maybe the way that I would meet somebody in this situation. It's not with correction, it's not with rebuke, it's with great gentleness. He sends an angel, angels are terrifying creatures. But you see this, this amazing picture of gentleness that God sends this angel and he's fallen asleep because he's so exhausted. And the angel just touches him and says, hey, hey get up and eat and drink. And, and now he's, 
he's got these like baked cakes and uh, water for him that have, that have really come out of nowhere. They've, the Lord has supernaturally provided this nourishment for him. So one, I want us to just stop there for a second and see the, the Lord really honors our physical bodies. Like we are embodied souls. And so he, he cares about our bodies. And it's really hard to have soul rest when we don't have physical rest. And so here the Lord is saying, hey, step one, you need to lay down. You need to sleep because you're not thinking straight. You need to get sleep. You need to have water. You need to be refreshed. But what's so beautiful about the, the choice of what he brings to eat and drink is that um, we didn't see this because it's a couple chapters earlier, but when God first calls Elijah to be his prophet, he says, I'm sending you out into the wilderness and I'm gonna provide for you. Um, and first he provides for him literally by ravens. Ravens bring him bread and meat for years and he drinks water out of a brook. And then when the, the brook dries up because of the drought, because of no rain, then he's like, okay, what do I do now? And the Lord says, well, now you're gonna go to this town and there's an old poor widow who lives with her son and she's gonna feed you until I tell you differently. And so he goes and this woman literally, he finds her gathering sticks to make one last fire to make her last batch of cakes of whatever kind and, uh, and her last jar of flour, last jar of water. And, and he says, what are you doing? And she says, I'm, I'm gathering sticks to make the last meal before my son and I die because we're gonna starve to death. And he's like, no, you're not because God's told me that you're actually gonna feed me. So if you could just, you know, make it a double and make me one too. And she's like, what? And then for, for over a year, they live like that together. He and this woman and her son and the food and the water never run out. And so when the Lord is, is meeting him in this place, he's like, hey, do you remember that? Do you remember the three and a half years that I fed you from nothing and gave you from nothing? And that's how you lived? Was it, it didn't all, remember how it didn't all depend on you? Remember how it all depended on me and nothing you did like could have given you food and water out of nowhere? And just his, his gentle reminder, it's not, shaming, he doesn't even say anything. He just gives him the food. And when Elijah sees it, he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. And, uh, and so the Lord is, is very kind and very gentle. And, and what he's saying to him in this provision is, I know you, I see you, I'm with you, I love you, and you can just rest. You can just rest. I've got some things to say to you, but right now you just need to sleep. And then when the angel says a second time, um, he wakes him up a second time, he says, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. The Lord knows how frail we are. And here, here's the amazing thing too about this. The Lord didn't call him on this journey to the mountain of God. He decided to do that because he is running away He's afraid for his life. He's given up on God's people. He's like, all that's a lost cause and they're trying to kill me. I'm getting out of here and I'm going far, far away. So even as he's running away from the very thing that God's called him to, the Lord is still kind and still sustains him and he's still gonna meet him and he's still gonna talk to him. And so then we, we get to see this, this place where he comes to the mountain of God and this is where God really helps him remember. And he asks this question, um, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And you know, in all the frenzy, frenetic thinking and worrying and anxiousness that I can experience, it's like just this place where he just, hey, Matt, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this place? And here's, here's what God's really asking in that question. Why are you giving up hope for yourself? Like who told you that you can't do what I've asked you to do now? Why are you giving up hope for this people? Who's told you that that was the last chance, that it's all over? Why are you giving up hope for me? <laughs> Remember who I am? Remember how I sent fire from heaven? Why are you letting your circumstances and your own limits tell you what's possible with me? Why are you looking at yourself more than you're looking at me? Why are you afraid right now? And the hope is that in that, Elijah just says, I've lost my way. But that's not what he says. Um, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. There's a lot of talking about me here. And when we find ourselves in that place, it's, it's a good like check engine light just to say like, ooh. Uh, when you're standing before God in your prayers, telling him, and, and I, even I only, I'm the only one that cares about you. I'm the only one that's doing this. I'm the only one that's showing up. When, when you find yourself in that place, it's like, it's time to pump the brakes. I'm like, okay, I've, I've gotten off here. Um, I'm all alone, it's all about me, and I'm about to give out. And guess what? If, if, if something happens to me, then all hope of God's plan in human history is lost because I'm the linchpin. I mean, that's essentially what he's saying here. And it's like, whoa, whoa, where, like, do you remember that great victory that you had? Do you remember all the people that helped you slaughter the false prophets? Which, I mean, that's a whole other story we can talk about some other time. But uh, do you remember, there's also something that we didn't get to read, that Obadiah, who was a faithful servant of the Lord, hid a hundred prophets in a cave so that Jezebel couldn't kill them. So there's actually not just one prophet left, there's 101 prophets left. But like when you're in this place, it just warps how I see all of my circumstances. And there's also a little bit of uh, longing for the good old days here. Um, we don't have time to talk about it today, but there's so many parallels between Elijah and Moses, like very intentional by the, the writers of scripture. We are supposed to see them uh, very closely linked. And so Elijah, um, I believe that we don't know exactly why he ran to the mountain of God, but this is Mount Sinai. Horeb is another word for Sinai. And so he is back to where Moses was getting the law of God from the mountaintop and giving to the nation of Israel as they're preparing to go into the promised land. And so um, I believe based on the context that there's a little bit of longing for the good old days here, a little bit of feeling sorry for myself. And, and now I, I wanted to come back to this place. And man, like when Moses was here, there was a whole nation here and you were giving us the law. We were getting ready to go into the promised land. And now look at where we are. It's like, whoa, whoa, man, let's remember the good old days as they really were. Like when Moses was up on the mountain, all of God's people made a golden calf to worship a false God because they thought God was taking too long. And Moses didn't get to go to the promised land because the people made him so angry at their disobedience 
that he sinned in his anger and God said, all right, man, you can't even go in the promised land. So the good old days weren't really good old days because they were about to spend 40 years in the desert because of their, their uh, disobedience. They were just old days. They were just other days. And it's really easy for us to get to that place too of like, man, that's when things were really good. It's like, no, no, no. Things are, things are the same because God is with me now. He was with me then, he's with me now. It's not like he's left. It's not like the golden days are, are in the rearview mirror. And so the Lord is, again, he's just so kind to him and he calls him and he says, um, come out in verse 11, he says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And what's really beautiful about this is in chapter 17, one, the very first place we see Elijah in scripture, he is so bold because the Lord's spoken to him. He's called him to be a prophet for the first time. He's like, yo, it's about to be up and to the right for the rest of my life. And he goes up in all of his boldness to King Ahab. And he's like, yo, listen to me. I am Elijah. I am the one who stands before the Lord. And like, this is about to go down. And then when all this transpires and years pass and things didn't turn out the way that he hoped they would, now the Lord is saying, hey, remember, you're still the one who stands before the Lord. So why don't you come out and stand before the Lord and let me remind you of who I am and who you are. And so we get this really interesting picture here where um, God, it's, God calls him out, but before he comes out of this cave, there's this massive like hurricane winds that are destroying the mountain. And then there's this massive earthquake and there's this massive fire and um, all three of those things are very clear throughout scripture. They are signs of God's power and they are signs of God's judgment. And then, but it says God is not in those things. And it says what follows next is this low whisper, but it can also be translated this thin, perfect silence. And the implication is that God is in that silence. What does this mean? Well, it means a couple of things. One is um, sometimes a silence is a lot scarier than the big, loud, powerful things. Because when all that loud stuff's going on, that's in front of a crowd, that's big, that's bold. But the silence is where it gets really personal and really intimate. And that personal, intimate space with God is a lot scarier than, than being at arm's length watching fire come down from heaven. But the other thing that's probably more, more important for what we're talking about tonight um, is in all the loud, crazy, powerful moves of God, those are powerless to change people's hearts. You ever stop and think about that? Like throughout scripture, that never changes somebody's heart. All that can do is get your attention. All that can do is set the table. All that can do is get you, it can humble you and get you to listen to God when you weren't listening to him before. But the only thing that can transform is the love of God. And so what's happening here is we get this picture um, of, of Elijah having to learn where the real power is with God. And God asks him again in this silence, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says the exact same thing. And so that's encouraging because what God is doing in his life doesn't depend on him getting it. It just depends on God's love for him. And so that's really encouraging to me because there's a lot of times when I don't get it. 
But Elijah, like us, needed to see that God doesn't need anything from him. He needed to remember who God is. He needed to remember his power, but he also needed to remember his love. He needed to know that the God that he serves is the almighty God who, when he makes commitments to his people, he keeps them. And he needs to know and remember who he is, that he's a frail man who is weak, who is susceptible to all kinds of temptation, to all kinds of exhaustion, to all kinds of fears, but he is a frail man who is dearly loved by God. And when God calls him to be his prophet and to, to work alongside him, it's not because he needs him, it's because he loves him. And he just chooses him to go with him. And it's in this, this quiet power, that's where all of the transforming love of God happens because this is, um, this is the power that transforms hearts. You know, Moses and Elijah are held up as these two amazing men and they were two leaders of God's people. But guess what? Both of those men failed at turning the hearts of God's people toward God. And, and the Lord spoke through them and, and did miraculous signs through them, but the people continued to rebel. And so the Lord did through Jesus, gentle, humble, quiet Jesus, what could not be done through these two men. Jesus' love, Jesus' love poured out on the cross alone is the power that can transform hearts. It is, it is alone the power to bring life from death, to save us from destruction that we deserve because of, because of our sin. His, his quiet power is the, the only power that can transform hearts. Um, talking about Jesus and the prophet Isaiah, it says that he will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. He won't falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the lands will put their hope. And then in Isaiah 53 it says, he was oppressed and afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. He did not open his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering of sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. He will be raised from the dead and he will see what his death has accomplished that you and I are now standing with him forever as children of God who've been reconciled to God and it will have been worth it. And he will celebrate what his quiet, gentle power has accomplished. And this is the God that we serve. He is the God of the fire, but he is also the God of the gentle whisper and the thin silence. And so here, what our father is showing us is that he knows that we are weak. Okay, so whatever you've got going on in your life where you're feeling pressure, anytime you feel pressure, you know that you're lost. Anytime you feel pressure, you know that you're lost because that should never be the case. Because he loves you and it is never all up to you. It is never all on your shoulders. And so when you find yourself believing that, it's time to go back and ask him to remind you who you are and who he is.
He is showing us that he is meeting us in our weakness with gentleness and kindness. He doesn't need us, but he loves us and he invites us to life with him, to enjoy life with him, to enjoy working alongside him because that's what we were made for. And he's showing us that his, he is so, so, so powerful, um, but his power is the, the strongest and runs the deepest and affects the most change uh, in its quietness. And so here, as this passage closes out, um, he gives Elijah this new commission. And he says, hey, go. Um, you're not alone, by the way. Like, you're gonna go anoint two new kings and a new prophet to take your place. Oh, and, and by the way, there's 7,000 people um, who are with you. And don't forget about those 100 cave prophets. They're, they're still out there doing their thing too. Um, he, he's just reorienting. He, he's pulling Elijah out of the minutia and giving him the 30,000 foot view of like, hey, just remember, uh, remember who you are, remember who I am. Yeah, I just, I'm thinking about all the things that I know are, are going on with y'all and um, the things that are going on with me and we really need this. We really need to stop and, and just consider what he's saying here that um, what he's doing with Elijah, he's doing with us, but we've got to be in a place where we can hear him. And so whatever that looks like for you today, tonight, right now, as we, we're about to take communion, so maybe in the, the quiet of that moment, um, but maybe even more so uh, this week, just finding a place where you can get alone with him and, and just even be in a place where you can lay down the things that are causing you to get ramped up and just even have the opportunity to just be quiet and, and see what he says to you, see how he meets you in that quiet. Father, uh, you are so, so, so powerful and so gentle, and that is amazing. You, are, you alone are worthy of praise because there is no one, there is no God like you who is so powerful and so gentle at the same time. There's no God like you who uses his power um, to, to woo us back to himself after we have rebelled and run away and followed after other gods. Lord, you, you, um, thank you for reminding us of, thank you for bringing us back to gospel sanity. Thank you for reminding us uh, of who we are and who you are. And Lord, thank you for giving us this table that we're coming to, um, to remind us in even more tangible ways uh, of your, your steadfast love, your gentle, quiet power, um, and, and the everlasting life that you've given us in your son, Jesus. Lord, so um, meet us now as we meet you at this table. Amen.